Hello and welcome back, or welcome to the Performance Rising Podcast. I'm Matthew Dunn, and in this episode, I speak with Mark Meshack, head women's soccer coach at SUNY Potsdam. Entering his ninth season, Mark and his players have experienced a steady increase in wins each season. And in this conversation, Mark discusses the culture change that has driven that growth. Mark, hello, and thank you for being on. Hey, thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thanks again. And uh, Mark, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, sure. My name is Mark Mishak. I coach women's soccer at SUNY Potsdam in upstate New York. I've been here for, wow, time is flying by really fast, going into my ninth season now and uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, a great 2019 season on the horizon for us here. Now, Mark, I was talking a little bit off record and uh, telling you that the more I dug into what you're doing up there in Potsdam, the, the more interested I got because I think you're doing some really great things. Um, I appreciate that. But before that. we really jump into that, I want to start understanding uh, this, the, the human system you came from. So what was your childhood like? Where did you come from? What are your parents like? Sure. So I'm an only child. Uh, my parents, I'm actually first generation Canadian. My parents both came from Poland. Uh, my dad came from Poland when he was 30 years old. My mom moved when she was young. She was nine. So funnily enough, they're both from Poland, but they actually met in in Canada. Um, so as I say, I'm an only child. Uh, I had a, a great childhood. Uh, my parents are both amazing people, uh, super um, affectionate, uh, super, super smart, both of them for sure. Really, really intelligent, very, um, very motivated to, to learn about the world and, and how things work. Um, like I say, I, I didn't want for anything in terms of, uh, affection, uh, support, um, motivation, uh, self-belief, uh, they were in that regard. So, so great. So, um, my dad was actually a pro soccer player in Poland. Um, so obviously the game of soccer was in my blood from, from birth really, and started playing the game. Uh, that's basically all I really cared about when I was a kid was eat, sleep, play soccer. Um, my dad and I to this day, it's pretty much what we discuss transfers and team tactics and signings and, uh, other things that are involved in the game, obviously. But, um, but yeah, like I say, certainly my dad's, uh, his upbringing and his lifestyle, uh, definitely ingrained the love of soccer in me. It's, it's stayed consistent until, till this very day. Obviously, uh, the game is my, my lifeblood and I can't picture, um, really a day without some sort of, uh, soccer talk or, or something that is, you know, part of the, part of the game. So completely unrelated. Is it time for Robert Lewandowski to transfer from Bayern? Uh, I think that ship has sailed to be honest. I think, I think he missed his, uh, his moment to go and do some bigger things, maybe going to Real Madrid or Chelsea or, um, I think now being gosh, 31 soon. Um, I think his, his ship has sailed. So, uh, obviously in the Bundesliga, he's, you know, the, the best striker, but I'm disappointed that he couldn't go on and, and really test his abilities and, you know, one of the truly, truly top leagues. So for the listeners who don't know soccer, Robert Lewandowski is a uh, Polish player who plays in Germany for one of the top teams, or arguably the top team, Bayern Munich. 
That's right. Um, okay, so grew up in Canada. Yes. What part? Uh, Oakville, Ontario, which is 20 miles south of Toronto. Um, being in the GTA, the greater Toronto area, um, it's amazing. I think coming here to America, uh, it was so amazing to hear people when they say, where are you from? They would say things like, oh, I'm from Syracuse. I'm from Rochester. I'm from Buffalo. In Canada, where I'm from, when people say, where are you from? It's always, well, I'm from Poland. I'm from Portugal. I'm from Germany. So um, obviously, it's a, a, a very international area. And but because of that, soccer is the number one sport for sure. Canada is synonymous with hockey, obviously. But uh, at least where I grew up, soccer was, was king for sure. Again, thanks to the the really, really um, international population that you know we have in the GTA. So, were you, did you grow up in a uh, a, a Polish community or multi ethnic? Multi ethnic, multi ethnic for sure. We have a large Polish population. I mean, we have within twenty miles, we have three Polish Wegmans, if that makes sense. So, the size of Wegmans, we have three ones that are just Polish products. But, um, but I grew up with you know people that were from Jamaica, from Sudan, from Portugal, from Quebec, which is, you know, obviously a different language over there too. Um, people from the Middle East, people from Caribbean, people from Central America. So really, um, I've got friends and mates from all over the world, like I say. So I'm going to challenge our listeners. Um, Mark, my mom's people are all from uh, French Canada. Okay. In fact, she grew up in Plattsburgh. Cool. That's where I went to school, obviously. And um, I'll challenge our listeners to listen for how my accent evolves during this conversation listening to you. Okay. So uh, maybe maybe I'll slip into it here uh, a little bit. Mine's evolved a little bit, but people still, when I speak to them, the first question is, where are you from? Because they're not from here. Nope. Yeah, yeah. It's a different world up there. (laughs) Um, Okay, so mom and dad, both from Poland. Dad's a pro soccer player. Correct. Uh, What was mom's background? Mom works in real estate conveyancing. So basically, um, when there's a real estate transaction, she does all the middle work, all the the checks on land surveying, on um, basically is, is the home available to be purchased and up for sale. So she does all the the paperwork stuff. Um, to me, it's, it's a job that, gosh, it's, it's really a desk job. It really is, but she loves it and she's great at it. So, um, that, that was her career path is real estate conveyancing. She helped a lot with our home purchase, helped a lot. My wife and I bought a home in Potsdam last year and she, we relied on her a lot to help us. (laughs) That's great. What, what was it like being the child of immigrants? Um, you know what? Growing up back home, like I said, with the population being the way it was, you never considered that. You never thought about that. It just was like the sun rose and the, the sun set. It was just normal stuff. So that was never a consideration for me, especially with my mom. I mean, she has no accent whatsoever coming from, from Poland when she was young. Uh, and my dad, you know, has a pretty thick Polish accent. Um but like I say, you know, you can, you can ride a bus back home and not hear English. You can hear Portuguese and Spanish and uh, Afrikaans. So to hear somebody speak a different language or have an accent back home, it's just like like I said, the, you know, you go to the store and buy milk. It's a normal occurrence. What about values? Do you think um, they brought with them unique values? Yeah, definitely unique customs, unique values. Um, things like, you know, our, our holidays are a little bit unique in the sense that um, – 
for example, our Christmas is celebrated on Christmas Eve, and we have some pretty cool, unique customs that are a little bit different than the way Christmas is celebrated here. And those are ingrained in in myself and my wife, who's also Polish. So we try and and obviously maintain those values. Um, some different things, I guess, in terms of just day to day stuff. Um, it's amazing how really, really big and how important handshaking is in, in Poland. Really, really important. Like if you were to walk into a room and not get up off your chair and shake a man's hand, uh, you'd be, you'd be chastised and you would not be welcome back. Um, on the female side, it's always the, the cheek kisses, one, two, three. So that's a very normal thing. You meet a person for the first time, you go in for the cheek kisses. So those are some unique customs and values that, that we have, uh, which may be a bit unique here. I think it'd be different if, you know, you walked into a Walmart and saw a person for the first time and went, that'd probably mm-hmm. be a little bit uh, different. But for us, that's very, very normal. What did you learn from your father? Um, from my dad, I learned a lot. I think the biggest thing from my dad is he's extremely honest, extremely, almost to the point of sometimes being brutally honest. Um, I try and sometimes uh, sugarcoat things a little bit more, but I took that, that honesty from him. He's always tell the truth. The way you might present it might be different, but um, he's a very honest man. Um, I think my love for reading came from him too my thirst of of knowledge i mean i'm a serial reader i've got to be reading things all the time it it might be as simple as reading the ketchup bottle ingredients when i'm out of a restaurant with my wife as simple as that but um definitely that that thirst of knowledge that love for reading that that desire to always learn something came from my dad as well and your mom uh from my mom uh bounce back ability she's so resilient um in her childhood or upbringing, um, she went through, she was gone through a lot with her, um, with her family. Um, so definitely the resilience to listen, you know, one thing happened and your, your response is the most important thing. So if you spill milk, do you, do you cry about it or do you clean it up? So like, like I say that, that resilience, that, that bounce back ability definitely comes from my, my mother. What did it mean to be a member of your family? Uh, it's special. I love them to death and I wouldn't trade them for any, anything in the world. I mean, to this day, we're super, super close. Um, going, going back home or having them come to visit me in Potsdam, it's like seeing friends, really. We're, we're that close and uh, we have a great relationship. Um, like I say, I wouldn't trade them for anything in the, in the world. So moving one step further now, we, we did the family. Let's go now to the community. Sure. Uh, you could define that however you'd like. Sure. Who were you in that community? Uh, growing up back home, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think just a normal, average, fun-loving kid, I think. I think people saw me as hopefully somebody who always had a, a positive disposition, somebody who always wanted help if they needed it, uh, somebody reliable. But I was just happy to just enjoy my life and be nice to people. They were nice to me. So I think I just, uh, you know, an average, average kid, to be honest. So I have a framework of understanding uh, community and culture, which sure. we'll get to in a minute. So I'm going to ask sure. you some questions. And again, it's related to however you associate yourself and your community. Okay. This could relate to your family. It could relate to the soccer team. It could relate to the people sure. you talk to on the street. Sure. If your community and the culture of that community was a symbol, what would the symbol be? Uh, that's an easy one. Just the, the, 
the Libra, the the scale, all all about balance. Work and life balance um, was the most important thing. And I think too often we get wrapped up in our work for way too long. Right. I think more and more that's happening with um, always having work accessible at the, the tip of your fingers or the touch of your phone, obviously. Uh, growing up back home, especially pre, pre-iPhone, pre-tech days, it was all about balance. I mean, you, you worked to, to have fun, basically, and that was what it was meant for. So I think back to my childhood, my parents worked really, really hard, really hard, but they also had a ton of fun. And that's how I kind of think about growing up is everyone did that all, all my friends parents all my friends you know we we did our our due diligence but we also really enjoyed ourselves so the libra was the symbol and i will say that it, it still is in in my life the most important symbol and how old are you 34 going on 35 okay. so i'm 37 so you and i grew up at basically the same time yeah. where we had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. Sure. So it, I sure. think it was a blessing not to have all the technology. Huge blessing. Yeah. I, I always say that um, I was lucky to grow up in those pre-cell phone days. You think back to when you were a kid, if, if you and the boys made plans to be at the pool at 4 o'clock, I mean, you had to be there because next time you didn't show up, you didn't get invited. Right. Right. So now it's easy just to say 5 to 4, oh, quick SMS or text right. and not going to make it, guys, which is cool. But um, – but back then, if you didn't show up on time or or make it to a place you said you would be at, next time you weren't invited. You have to leave a note on a tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, go back to the community and the culture. What was sure. the story that your community told itself about itself? Okay. Um, be humble. Be humble. Work hard. Be honest. And good things will come to you. Wonderful the story that, yeah. What are the rituals and routines that reinforce that community? Uh, open conversation, knocking on people's doors. Um, the village, I mean that the village in the sense of the village raised everybody, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I think, I think every person on, on my street or on my block in some way helped helped to raise me, if that makes sense. I mean, I think back to a time, and this is so stupid of me, I was walking back from school one day, and I had a bad day at school. I, I don't know if I didn't do well on a test, or you know, my crush didn't like me as much, whatever it may have been. But I was walking back from school one day, and um, I went into a recycling bin, and I grabbed a glass bottle. I just threw it up in the air, and it crashed on a driveway. And there's a person across the street, he was like, what are you, what are you doing? And I just kind of gave him a blank stare. He's like, why would you do that? Because now the person that did that has to clean that up. And I was like, okay, you're absolutely right. That was really stupid of me. So by him saying that, I immediately had that like learning moment of my actions are always going to impact somebody else. Oh, that's, that's so, really powerful. So I think, I think that is a really important thing about my my community, my, my neighborhood, my, my block is that, like I say, in some way, uh, everyone helped to raise each other, hopefully in the right way. What was control and how was it exercised? What was control and how was it exercised? Um, I think, like I said, you were, you were policed because everyone felt the need to help you out and make you a better person 
everyone kind of felt responsible for your upbringing. Everyone kind of felt like, all right, here's this six, eight, ten year olds from my neighborhood, and this person's going to go out and impact the world in some way. Let's make sure it's it's positive. So, like I say, you you knew that if you acted out or if you weren't doing the right thing, somebody was going to come down on you or even worse, come down on your parents about you, which you definitely did not want. So that was that was so controlled. I think that you grew up with the knowledge of um, somebody's always going to be uh, evaluating you in terms of your, your upbringing. What was power and what was its structure? Uh, power and structure. I think the power definitely came from, you know, the, the parents. I think the power came from them for sure. Uh, like I said, every parent felt responsible for every person in my community. Um, the structure was certainly top down. You know, I think nowadays we're moving more toward, you know, sort of horizontal and and flat, um, hierarchies, which is sort of paradoxical, I guess. But, um, Back then, it was definitely top-down. You had the parents, you had the kids, and that was the structure. And the kids didn't talk back to parents. And what the parents said always went. Fascinating. Okay, so out of this community, sure, or I should say in this community, you find we're going to use soccer or football. Oh, we, can, we can use soccer. Okay. We can use soccer. We can use yeah, North yeah. American soccer. Yes, uh, yes. How did you find it, and what was it to you? Okay, so again, from my my dad for sure. For my first memory, uh, my first gift that I got was a 1986 World Cup ball with all the country's flags, and it was probably from a gas station. Probably yep. cost five dollars. But did you do really? Yeah. yeah, I remember the first one to peel off was Uruguay. Exactly. Uruguay was the first one to come off for some reason. I'm not sure if it was because it was by the uh, by the valve, mm-hmm. but that one got the most wear and tear for sure. Um, but definitely, I think back to my. I think childhood, I think soccer, if that makes sense. That's that's what is vivid in my mind of, of my childhood is running around with the ball, playing nonstop on the street at recess time, soccer, 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 soccer. Um, and what was the second question? Sorry, what was the follow-up to that? Uh, so what did it mean to you? Oh, everything, everything. I mean, I, I can't picture my life without without soccer in it. it it's, it's my true love. It's my passion. Um, it's my obsession. It's my my lifeblood, to be honest. So, like I say, back then to to now, uh, soccer is is my my lifelong true love. Amen. I know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Okay, so school was it? Yeah. Of the same sort of communal communal sense that you'd already described, or was it different? Definitely, definitely the same. Okay. The teachers, the kids, um, exactly the same sort of dynamic. Absolutely. Okay, so tell me how a kid from Toronto area ends up in the States for college. Yeah, yeah, so good question. So uh, I played for a few club teams back home in Canada. Um, and back then, uh, growing up in Canada, back in the early 2000s, I had no idea of how recruitment worked. Obviously, now in my position, um, I know that recruiting is, is all about marketing and all about basically student-athletes marketing, marketing themselves. Uh, back then, I had the impression that it was basically you played in games, coaches came to see you, and if they like you, they would call you, 
uh, send you a letter, maybe email you. But I had no idea you could go out there and be like, hey, my name is Mark Mishak. I play for this team. Come and see me at this time at this game. Here's a video clip of my best moments. That didn't exist back then. So in any event, um, I was seen at a showcase uh, by a couple of coaches. Um, Plattsburgh, where I ended up obviously being one of them. Um, we stayed in contact quite a quite a bit, myself and Coach Chris Waterbury, who's just retired at Plattsburgh. Um, and when I went for a campus visit there, um, there were two guys from Canada who are now my my closest friends. Um, and being being there with them and seeing how much they loved it and how much it meant to them to be uh, a player in the United States, uh, it made me love it too. And meeting Chris Waterbury, and he was just such a a nice guy, just a really, really nice guy who made you feel super welcome and super comfortable. Um, that's what sold it for me. So went to Plattsburgh and I guess the rest from there is history. So let's go to Plattsburgh. Sure. What did it mean to be a member of that team? Yeah, it was really, really special. So I think still growing up in Canada to go play soccer in the United States is still a, a really big badge of honor. And again, I had no idea about Division One, Two, Three delineation separations. Uh, like I said, for me to grow up in Canada and play in the States, um, when I came back to Canada, having been in the U.S., everyone's like, "Wow, that was that's cool. You play in the States. That's amazing." And you know, I'm so I'm so jealous of you, basically. So uh, that was a huge sense of pride for me to kind of say, you know what, you made it. You, you, you're, you must be a halfway decent player to get this offer, to go play on this really, really talented team with, with a great coach, with great teammates. Um, being in Plattsburgh, it was really cool. Uh, and this might sound kind of different, but to not have football was really, really Cool American because football. we yeah, yeah American football yeah. excuse me American football because to be fair in the fall we were the the biggest show in town and uh, to go there and just have you know a lot of fans of your games and to walk down the street and people would say you know good luck tomorrow or you go to uh, you go to Walmart people bump you and say hey great game last night I watched you play and that was really fun to see uh, it was it filled you with a lot of pride but it also gave you a sense of responsibility so like I said to be part of that team. Uh, to be part of a team that went as deep as we did in 2005, going to the, the Final Four. Uh, I still think back on those moments with very fond memories. So it was a very, very special time, and I definitely cherished every moment. So as you said, the, the coach is, is a legend, and in, in is certainly New York. Um, he is. What was special about him? Uh, humility. Humility. He was just like the a really authentic normal guy who knew a lot about soccer and recruiting and to this day i mean we're we're friends i'm proud to say that we become peers and i learned so much from him um i think everyone who knows chris waterbury will say that he will do whatever he can to help you in any possible way he's just a really really good salt of the earth type person so what were the values that underpin that team community um, values that underpin that community. Um, I mean, you're this might team. this might sound this might sound like a bit of a roundabout answer, but the value I think the major value that was part of the team was that we valued each other. If that makes sense, everyone because we spent so much time together, we really had that 
brotherhood mentality, which is kind of cliche, I think, but we really did. I mean, my teammates and I, we would, we would die for each other. And you can see that in the way we, we grouped together off the field, the way we were on the field. So I think the biggest value that we had was that we really valued each other in a really, really massive way. And how was that learned? How was it learned? I think I think a huge part of it is, is that we spent every moment together. We really did. Whether it was um, obviously on road trips, in the team room after games, um, you know, back before the pre-cell phone days, you, you went to your team room and you actually you talked to each other, right? Which is, which is cool. Um, just being in the same dorms together, eating lunch together. Uh, one thing that I'm really proud of that we did is that we always um, planned on planned team meals it was like listen here's you know here's our lunch time it's basically noon for the whole team we're gonna meet every day for lunch at algonquin dining hall and the, the whole team was there and it, it sounds really really insignificant but just talking about you know how's school today you know we're playing brockport tomorrow what do you think about their number six right we spent so much time together and that that cultivated a, a sense of really true true love i feel like for each other so was this encouraged by the coach or did it is it something that happened organically it was pretty organic to be honest it was pretty organic yeah yeah i think uh i think it was very organic in the sense that i'm not sure if it it must have just kind of come from years and years of that happening and you'll have to maybe ask chris one day i can ask him but um when i came to the team that's that's just how it was you had lunch every day so if that happened years previous because of a captain or a few players that wanted to do that or if that was chris actually saying hey listen in my first couple of years here this is what you're going to do to set the tone for the future i'm not sure but like i said at least when i walked into the team it was pretty organic that's fascinating yeah so let's let's go through my uh community checklist my culture checklist too. sure sure if that team was a symbol what would it be if it was a symbol, it would be, um, I'm trying to think of a symbol. What are some, what are some of the major ones that are used? What are some of the, so, um, you might hate this, but this is completely your association. Okay. If, if you had to represent that team with any kind of pictorial representation, what would it be? Um, I have to say like a, a warrior. You picture a warrior, you think of uh, of that team. You think of uh, somebody who is willing to fight to the death for what they think they should deserve and fight to protect their their brotherhood, their family. I, I would think of a, a warrior for sure. And what is the story that that team told itself about itself? Um, that with attention to detail, that with really positive vibes in your team um you can achieve anything that you want to and that team i think about it and i think of a famous quote that i read in a book vicente del bosque who coached spain to the to the world cup uh to the euros the two years later um a quote that stuck with me forever and to this day is uh, a happy team is worth a thousand training sessions um that's and that, so intense. That, that, that was that team. And we were so happy together. We, we loved being together every single day. And if we missed a training session because people were sick or injured or because it was snowing in Plattsburgh in October, um, it didn't matter 
because that team was so, so close that we could make up for the lack of training by just being ready to, to fight for each other because we were so happy being around each other. So you mentioned the eating together and the communal aspects. Are there any yeah. other rituals or routines that reinforced community identity? Uh, I think it was really cool that after after matches, uh, you know, it wasn't like you would go to a game and hopefully win and then, you know, you, you get on your way and you pack your bag and off you go. I think what was really cool about that team was that after every match, win, lose, or draw, uh, home or away, we would sit in the team room for an hour after and just talk about the game, basically, and what went well, what went wrong, who's playing well, who isn't playing well. Um we really dissected the games after after the games. And and like I said, even though we learned a lot about tactics in those moments and we, we made some good soccer decisions, uh, unbeknownst to us, it brought us a lot a lot closer to those moments, right? And that was coach-led? Uh, no, player-led. Wow. Player-led. Okay. Definitely, definitely player-led. Yeah. What yep. was control and how was it exercised? Uh, control. Okay, so for Waterbury, what I always say about Chris Waterbury was that he was just such a, a good person that he controlled you by making you not want to disappoint him, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because he had so much belief in you, you never wanted to let him down. So that's how he controlled you. He was always positive, always had your back. Um, he, you, you felt the belief, you felt the support that you would go a million miles to not, not let him down. Did you have captains? We did. How were they we chosen? Uh, by team vote. Every year by team vote. Yes. Yep. And lastly, what was power and how was it structured? Uh, I think power was, again, a lot more a lot more flat in, in our team. Um, I think it came from the players, to be fair. I think the players set the tone for what was right and what was wrong, um, whether it was you know, going out for as a team for, for parties or what you ate or when you went to bed and how you, you, you kind of made your body. Um, I took care of it. It, it. it came from the players for sure. That's that was that was the answer in that team. What behaviors were praised and what behaviors were criticized? Uh, praised were a really, really strong work ethic on on the field. So, you know, running through tackles, jumping for headers, tracking back and marking your opponents. Um, what was sort of chastised? Uh, negativity, negativity, negative body language, uh, negative attitude, negative feedback toward teammates. That was definitely, definitely chastised and, and not kosher. Wow. Sounds like quite the team. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be a part of that team. Yeah. Okay, had a great career. What position did you play? Uh, you know what? I was sort of Mr. Versatility, yeah. and that was a blessing and a curse sure. because I would uh, I would start a game at left midfield. Uh, all of a sudden, I'd be up top as a number nine, as a striker. Um, then I'd go to left back if we need to play a bit more direct. Um, if we wanted some more control in the game, i go to center mid. So I, I played, except for goalkeeper, I played everywhere at Plattsburgh. And how... Did you feel about that? Uh, pros and cons, you know. I, I really felt um, encouraged because I was like, hey, listen, here's my coach thinking that I can help the team in so many facets. Um, but in the same breath, um, you know, you kind of want to specialize in one position too. 
and and the game is different at different positions even though the you know the game is the game if you're playing that right back or left winger the demands are a little bit different so of course sometimes i wish i could play as a as a striker all the time but uh again i, I really valued the fact that i could i could be bounced around and i felt a lot of belief um by by having coach think i was so versatile yeah so what was it about you and your play that gave him that confidence. you know what i think i think honestly it comes from my upbringing where soccer was everything i mean reading playing watching uh for me i loved it and it was fun for me but i, I guess being a bit older now i've come to realize how much i learned from watching all these games from playing all these games so um i had been in that position before i'd seen that happen before so when i went onto the pitch i was able to to make it work okay so you go through four years graduate Yep. What's your degree in? Uh, journalism. Journalism. Okay. Journalism. And yep. then what happens? What brings you back to the area? So then I decide that, listen, I love the game so much. Uh, I'm probably not talented enough to play at the very top level of the game where I can make a living at it. Um, I don't want to wake up at 35 and be like, all right, what's, what's next, basically? So I decide that coaching is the, the way I want to stay in the game. Um, so I, I asked Chris... Kind of before the end of my second semester at Plattsburgh, um, I was like, hey, listen, you know, you have this volunteer assistant or, or very, very modestly uh, compensated assistant, you know, would you be willing to take me on? And he was like, yeah, you know, we'll get you into some some youth coaching right now to get your feet wet um, and see if you like it. And I, I did. I loved it from the start. So basically at semester's end, I, I told Chris, hey, listen, I'm, I'm all in to help you out next year if you want. And he took me on. Um so when I went back that first year, um, a friend of mine who was in my wedding party, Jason Souza, um, was a three-time All-American uh, at Plattsburgh, and he had gone back to the GTA and kind of got into the, the corporate world. And when he heard about me going to coaching, he was kind of like, that sounds pretty darn good. That sounds pretty sweet. So um, basically, we both, we both went back to Plattsburgh as men's assistant coaches. And in, in that week... Uh, the women's team, their their assistant coach had resigned or gone to a better position, and uh, Karen Waterbury um, kind of asked us, "Would you want to help out on occasion?" And we said, "Yeah, of course we'd love to." So uh, we went and we we helped out a couple times, and we we loved it. We loved being around the female team and dynamics of it. Um, so for that year, basically, we were we were assisting with both programs. We were assistant men's and women's coaches. Um, after a year, Jason went back home. Um, and a second person from the GTA came in to be Chris's assistant and I stuck with just the women's team because I loved it so much. So I was at that moment, just the female assistant coach. Um, so I was at Plattsburgh for two years. Um, I went to be the men's head coach at Clinton Community College, which is also in, in Plattsburgh. I spent a year there. Um, and then, uh, Adam Parker, who I met through community college coaching, got the job here at Potsdam. Um, and he asked me to be his assistant coach and that uh, helped pay for my grad school as well. So, uh, I took that job on and a year into it, um, the women's coach here, uh, took a different job and the job was open and, and I applied and was fortunate enough to get the position. And I've been here ever since. Okay. That's a quite the whirlwind. Yeah, very much so. Very much. I can't believe it's been, uh, you tell me it's been 12 years since I started college coaching in, in some capacity. It's unbelievable. I think that's gone by so fast. So I want to go back to the moment you became an assistant with the Plattsburgh 
simultaneously sure. with men and women. Yeah, yeah. Having just come from the male side, sure. What were your thoughts, feelings, impressions of then working with the women's team? Uh, I was pretty apprehensive at first. I was very apprehensive of it. My first time ever coaching a, a female team of, of that level. Um, I didn't know what went into it. I didn't know about, is the game the same? You know, is, is soccer played the same way at that level? Uh, is the way you talk to players the same? I've come to learn that, of course, it's not. But I had a lot of questions, a lot of self-doubt going into it and, and kind of thinking, can I do this? And will they accept me as, as a male coach of female athletes? What was the similarities between the team cultures? Okay. And what were the differences that you noticed? Similarities, um, for sure, desire to win and desire to be at your best every single day, which was for me a, a really pleasant surprise. I was really, really encouraged when I saw how hard the girls worked and how much they cared about the wins and losses and, and how much being on the team meant to them. Uh, differences... Uh, certainly the, the feedback in terms of perhaps subpar performance was way more, uh, reserved on, on the female side, you know, uh, on the men's team, talking about just the player dynamics, you misplay a pass and your teammate would be down your throat, you know, it's telling you to, to be better, basically not to make the same mistake again. Uh, on the female side, I always think of, you know, the, the hand clap, come on, let's go. We, we're fine. We can do this. So um, the way they handled setbacks was, was way different on the, the female side. Is it setbacks or is it communication? Uh, communication. You're probably right about that. The way they communicate is, is way more positive, uh, way more encouraging, um, probably a bit more, um, I guess not reserved because it's it's energetic as well, but like I say, way way more positive. Which is guy code for way less direct. Yes, is that fair? Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So yes. in in the male paradigm, it's it's much more prevalent for oh yeah uh, oh yeah men yeah. to be very direct in confrontation. Of course, of course, and of course, we we have to preface this by saying we're, we are speaking in stereotypes and generalities, and of course, there are exceptions to those rules. Absolutely. Um, okay. So now we get to Potsdam. Yes. I'm going to read a quote from your website, your bio. Sure. Sure. And this is what really intrigues me. Okay. Say, although we have certainly done better in a win-loss department over the last couple of seasons, the thing I am most proud of is the culture we have been able to create within our team. I honestly believe it takes a special kind of person to be a part of a women's soccer program at SUNY Potsdam. Without question, technical ability and tactical acuity are paramount to our success out on the pitch, but it's even more important to me that we bring in young women who have great character. Yeah. What is culture? What is culture? Culture is what happens in behind closed doors, behind the scenes, team stuff. How does a team act with each other when nobody is around? That to me is, is culture. To me, culture and identity are different things. Our identity is, I think, what people see of us. Our culture is what happens with just myself and the girls. That's that's our culture. Okay, I want you to think. So not going to your ninth season. Yep. I want to break down your coaching career there 
And sure. I would like you to think of it like a book. Okay. How many chapters are there between start and the upcoming year? And oh. how would you title those chapters? Oh my gosh, so many chapters. So many chapters. Uh, the first one would be, uh, gosh, Mr. Bravado, 26 years old, got, you know, got the world at his feet, basically, uh, got his dream job, um, thinks he knows it all, but comes to realize very quickly that he doesn't. Um, the second chapter, probably the longest one, is humble pie, and not just a slice, but the, the whole pie, um, and learning how much I have to, to change. Um, the third chapter is the park bench. Um, there's a lady, forgive me, her. I don't know her name, and she's really famous. If she heard this, she'd be upset I don't know her name, but she is a psychologist, presents a lot at those coaching conferences, um, has helped out with the U.S. national team before. Colleen um, Hacker. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Colleen Hacker. She's the one. She's the one for sure. Um, something she said at a convention one day was like, wow, this girl is really, really smart, was the, the park bench. Go and sit on the park bench by yourself with nobody around and think about what you suck at, basically, and evaluate yourself. And it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to look at, inside yourself and say, wow, like you have a lot to work on and a lot of areas to improve. But for me, that was so cathartic, basically. I learned so much from that. And it, 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 that really made me a way better person and a way better coach was those, those park bench moments. Um, Next chapter would be uh, the Carlo Ancelotti book that I read. Yeah. And he's got a book. Um, and one thing that stuck out to me was just his laid back demeanor always being the same. Always being the same. You're up 1-0. You're down 1-0. You lost two games. You won two games. Always the same. Always approachable, empathetic, positive, um, that to me was a, a very uh, important point. And chapter five, I think, is creating my own destiny, I think, a little bit, you know, kind of just cultivating my own coaching craft. And um, even though I'm happy with the changes I've seen in myself and our team, uh, there's still a lot of room to grow. So there's definitely a lot more to add to the book still. Okay, that's fantastic. So I want to use that as, a, as kind of a background. So at sure. the same time that you're writing your book, yep, your team is writing its book. Yes, so in the Mr. Bravado days, yeah. let's take an inventory of what was the team culture that you found when you walked in the door the first day? Not what I wanted. Not what I wanted. Um, broken, uh, separated, um, no desire to be around each other in terms of large groups, uh, clicky. Um, challenging for sure. A challenging first culture. I mean, great kids on their own. Fantastic kids. Uh, very welcoming. Really hardworking. Uh, again, individuals were amazing. But as a as a unit, uh, a lot of work to do for sure. And it's important to know. Uh, and this is certainly not a secret, but the team was coming from a series of low win seasons. Yeah, yeah. And uh, certainly, my experience and and. You can certainly disagree if you think so, but I I think that breeds um, that creates a uh, what do we want to say 
could be a mentality. Yeah, I, I of think course. it's actually, you know, from from the psychological standpoint, I find it to be something like because losing on a consistent basis is such a, an ego blow. Yeah, yeah. That all teams, and it doesn't matter the gender, all teams sure. develop resistance to that ego blow. And of course, it could be it's fight or flight, right? It's yeah, absolutely. Basic. So we could we can fight amongst ourselves because this avoids the realities of what we're doing. Yeah, uh, we can fight with another team, or we could flight. We could avoid it. We could avoid each other. We could avoid confrontation. Exactly. Um, did you see that? Yeah, that team had that. Unfortunately, that that flight mentality. You could see it in the you know in the first portions of matches. We're keeping it close. We're keeping it tight. And then we allow a goal and it's just like the balloon just burst, you know, and, and off we go. So definitely that was that was a big thing that we talked about a lot is, you know, if we allow a goal, what's our, our response like? Um, I thought we could change it just by talking about it. I thought we could say, listen, you know, you give up a goal, just don't worry about it. You, you can't change just by discussing it. You have to actually give it time and, and work at it. So, um, so like I say, that was a, a huge obstacle for us was overcoming that that flight mentality and taking a letter out and making it into a fight mentality okay so i'm gonna go through my uh, sure. my ring again if if yeah. that team in that first maybe it's one year maybe it's the first couple of years what is a symbol that represents that team bambi mm-hmm. bambi bambi just like what do what do we do how do we handle this like here i am um innocent i'm young help me get through this i'm not ready to 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 grow up yet basically and i would make uh, a pretty profound connection too that this is also mr bravado yeah so in many ways perhaps you were in that same oh yeah i mean a lot of things that that i did i look back on with honestly disgust like the the things that i would would say i think back to a moment we were playing suny canton in a, in a match here and i thought we were a lot better team and we're up a goal and we're pretty comfortable and we give up a pretty soft equalizer and the team room i mean i just went in there and just lambasted them just absolutely lambasted them and instead of going in and saying listen we can get back to this we can bounce back the game's in our favor we're the better team believe in the process um basically what I said was, you suck, basically. Mm-hmm. And I could see in that moment, just I I made the balloon pop. I made the balloon pop. And that was a really, really profound moment for me. It took me some time to realize it, that that was a profound moment. But um, like I said, look, looking back on things that I, I, I sat in the, the Mr. Bravado knows, knows it all. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's my way. Listen to what I say. Um that guy had to change pretty quickly to make the team better. Yeah, that's a, a really profound insight. Thank you for sharing that. No, thanks, thanks. Um, what was the story the team told itself about itself? Uh, the story the team told is, please leave me alone. Please let us just kind of go through it. Uh, don't look at us. Don't Don't see us. Don't evaluate us. That was the story the team told. It was let's just... Lead me to my own devices. What about rituals and routines that reinforce that story? Um, the segregation, the segregation, the the clickiness, the the fact that you know we had teammates that didn't speak to each other was was pretty pretty impactful. What was control and where did it come from? Uh, the senior class, the senior class exerted a lot of control over the the younger players, the newcomers. 
they were the ones who were the the bosses for sure. And yeah. did you have captains? We did. And were they chosen? We uh, they were. My understanding is they were picked by the previous coach. That's my understanding. And you yes. you let that in play. You kept yeah yeah. I, yeah. I came into a job. We started preseason August seventeenth. I got the job on July twenty eighth. Okay, so you're so right I didn't change it. too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then what was power and how was it structured? Uh, that team in terms of power. Um, gosh, I I don't know if power is the right word. I I really don't know because power to me has some positive connotations to it. Um. That team to me was just like it was such a bunch of individuals that for anybody to exert any power over anybody else, I don't think happened too often. It was such a broken group. Okay, so I think I have a good understanding of that start, and trust yes. me, I've I've also been right, right yeah, there. And, yeah, 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 Mister Bravado and making a sure. lot of mistakes, and sure, sure, and then so take me to the point where things start to change. Okay, the humble pie stages. The humble pie, yeah. So, so, and maybe park bench too, maybe in there. Yeah, sure. Humble pie and park bench kind of go hand in hand. So you are changing, and the team is changing. Yep. What? Why? Basically, okay. what I want to, why is so that changing? What is causing that? What's changing? I think the biggest thing we're changing is we're recruiting kids based on what type of kid they are, and from a a gut feeling, from a gut feeling. And, and when did I, you make that decision, or how do you know that? Oh, right from the start, yeah. I knew. Right from the start, right from the start, I knew we had to bring in a, a different group of, of people. Basically, um, I've come to realize, and I, I, I'm not a medical doctor, uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I watched a TED talk basically about gut feelings and how they're they're yeah. real. Yeah. We talk about gut feelings, but something about is it your prefrontal cortex or your limbic system? Yeah, well that, done. Yeah. yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. But um, I just, when I met kids on recruiting trips or on the phone, we would talk, I would get a gut feeling. And if my gut said, this is a kid I want to have in our program, I would go after them and only them, only them. It didn't, didn't matter if you were a all state player and I didn't like you as a person. I'd rather have the, the second team all county player that was a, a positive, upbeat, nice humble kid so that was the the change for me was i had some humble pie and i was like listen i want kids who are kind of like me a little bit i want to build a team in my image kids who can evaluate their mistakes can be selfless can be can be humble so that was a a really important moment for me um which of course that humble pie led me to the the park bench to to sitting down and be like, all right, you've told yourself there are things you need to work on. You've told yourself you're not the greatest coach in the world. You've come to realize that. Now, go and spend some time and figure out what things you have to work on. Where can you improve? Where can you be better? And and that, for me, of all the chapters, is probably the most important one was, was the park bench. I learned a lot about myself. I, I hope and I, I think that my players would say that since that – that park bench time i've become a way way better coach so that's incredible and so first i want to validate that that, that gut feeling and yeah. I, i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this study but sure. uh, there's a lot of uh, studies about the subconscious mind making decisions yeah and, and one of them is about picking cards and again i i'm butchering this because i can't remember the particular details sure sure but uh, something like you, you 
they're measuring the sweat response on your hand. Yeah. And essentially, you pick a card and it either matches or doesn't match. Okay. And what is fascinating about this study is that the the sweat response on the hand basically correlated to the match really of the card before the the person saw the card wow wow which that's, is like truly a, a mental that's concept. incredible but yeah yeah, but yeah. I, I really want to dive into the feelings you have and i also again i want to make this connection and, or maybe ask a question this sure. park bench is this also what you're asking the team to do all the time so all this time. your journey is the team's journey yes yeah it's the same path it is the same path, exactly. Like it doesn't deviate in any sort of way. It's the exact same path, and I think that's so important that we're going the same direction all the time. So, what are you doing? So, the first season, you come in, and I, I can certainly understand. I've been there myself. You come in, you have to just deal with what's in front of you. Yeah, you don't have yeah. the time to really dig in. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. season ends. What right. is it that you start doing to change that culture? Um, force team fun. I copied that from Messiah for sure, and their winning program in, in both genders. Uh, just team hangouts. So again, the the team lunches. Um, when we have a recruit on campus, the whole team should be there to meet that recruit. I'm proud to say that one of the coolest things about our team here is that when a recruit comes to campus, the departing seniors are also there. I think it's super super special because here's a up and coming, you know, future college freshman who's meeting people that she'll never play with if that makes sense yeah so the fact that we we have that in our team i think is really really cool um so like i said the you know the the team dinners um the team bowling nights uh the basketball games that the team would play in the off season like i said the recruiting visits uh those were all really important pieces of trying to develop a a culture of being around one another and why do you think that's important? What is it doing? What do you think that is doing? Um, bringing them closer together, bringing them closer. And culture is, you know, obviously it's the overarching theme of this conversation, but it, it is the most important thing. Without a, without a positive culture, without the right culture, um, no matter how talented you are, you're, you're, you're going nowhere. And uh, the more I, I read about top coaches, whether it's Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola, um, the reality is that, knowledge of soccer tactics or, or you know game knowledge is way less important than ever it's all about group management now maybe that's why coaches like jose Mourinho are right. struggling now right. because they can't manage a, a group right um so again i guess i'm pretty fortunate that i have this ability to even watch better coaches than me and learn from them but um i realized pretty on pretty early on that creating a, a positive team culture was the most important thing and the next step was like how do we actually do that right so if you would uh, entertain me again a psychological interlude so having thought about this you know there, yep. there are two models that i really go to and the first is the basic needs model yeah 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 and the basic needs model says that you know motivational goals are are driven by whether or not the basic psychological needs of a person are met is this Maslow or? It, it, well, you know what? It, it, it dove, definitely kind of dovetails into that. Okay. It's okay. not directly Maslow. Okay. Uh, but it's need for attachment. Yep. Need for self-esteem and its protection. Need for orientation and control. And the need for pleasure maximization and pain avoidance. Okay. So each of those 
certainly can in its in its own right create a lot of anxiety. Sure. And by minimizing that anxiety, and I think even talking to you now, the things that you're doing in your team, like let's say need for attachment. You know, you're yeah. you're you're creating you and let's say co-creating because it's not just you, but you're sure. just creating an environment where people can come in and be part of something. Yeah. Uh, they want to feel good about themselves. Yep. And you can do that in a community, kind of apart from the win loss. Yep. There's orientation and control. So I know that if I'm part of this group, there's a kind of an expectation of who I am and what I do, and that gives me comfort. And then exactly, it's pleasure maximization. You said force fun, but yeah. in many ways, it's like the the pain avoidance is the pain of loss. So let's compensate with like a lot of fun so that we can yeah. attach to the joy. So you know, there's a lot of psychological roots of everything you're doing, and, and we talked a little bit beforehand of you don't have a psychological background. So it's no, amazing that you and other coaches, you know, intuitively find these things. It is intuition. These, yeah, find these it ways. Really so thank you for that little um, detour. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear up. that we're touching on all those areas. Unbeknownst to me, we are. Well, that's it. And, and that's what's so special about you and, and the coaches like you. Um, okay, so things are changing. Yes. And if you look at win-loss, you are creeping up. So you go Slowly. from two to four to five, I think six, and then yep. you kind of hit a jump. Yes. Now you're going in double digits. Uh, yep. Was it 12 at first? So Yeah. So we went, uh, if I can think about the win-loss tallies, two, four, five, six, nine, nine, 12, 14. Okay. Let's go from nine to 12. Okay. No, let's go from six to nine. Like I, that, that seems like a, a more that pivotal. Is, yeah. That is the pivotal year. That is the year that I look back on and say, okay, this is the year that we really started to move the, the ship in the right direction. And what was different? What changed? Okay, so I think a large part of it is, and this might sound harsh, but a large part of it is now we have a team that is just my recruiting class, if that makes sense. Sure. It's, it's the first um, time that we have kids that have only been recruited by me and fit that desired team culture, that that desired um, role, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an important part of it is that now we have players who only know our way of doing things, right? Um, I think a huge part of it is that when people came to visit us as prospective players, they would meet kids who only know about our way of doing things and they would converse and they would talk and they would talk about the program and how do things work here and what do you guys do and they would hear i'm hoping overwhelmingly positive feedback mm-hmm. about you know forced team fun and going out for team dinners and going down for frozen yogurt and i think hearing that made people want to be a part of that so ipso facto we could attract a, a better type of student athlete who had some perhaps some more talent um and that kind of just, you know, kept snowballing, basically. I want to have a bell for any time someone says something that's profound. In this case, ipso facto is <laughs> ipso very facto. rarely used. So I just want to honor that. <laughs> okay, so let's let's kind of go and dig into this this change. Yeah. So we have Bambi as a symbol before. Yep. So as we start to change six to nine here, yep. what's the symbol? Uh, it's got to be a butterfly, right? Caterpillar into butterfly. Yeah, okay. like now we're we're starting to fly. Now we're okay. starting to kind of take off, and and people are starting to take notice of like, wow, like that's that's cool. That's really really nice. And I I'd love to 
have that in my hands. Um, what I mean by that is I want to be a, a part of it, right? Yeah. And then what's the story that the team is telling it itself about itself? Uh, it takes time to grow. Give, give, give time, time. So that's give. growth mindset. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. It, it's really, really hard. It's really, really challenging. And it's very, very, it's painful, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of growing pains that go, growing pains, of course, so cliche, but, um, yeah, that's, that's the story is, is give time, time and you, you will grow. Water the plant every single day and it will grow. Do you think that the growth mindset becoming established could have happened without wins? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I think they need some um, corroboration mm-hmm. to see that, okay, we're doing things the, the right way. It's like if you go into a bank and you invest some money, right? If your broker is like, listen, it's going to work. It's going to work. Well, you lost me 500 bucks last week. You right. know, it's not working. Whereas if you won 200 bucks, it's like, okay, all right, I'll give you some more time here. What are the rituals or routines that reinforce this story? Uh, gosh, we have a lot of routines now. So, um, again, I'm going to mess up the person's name, but there's a coach out there who talked about teams that have personal touch end up winning a lot more games. So, oh, like well, phys- literal physical, physical touch, touch. Yeah. Lit- yep. physical touch. Yeah. So we have what we call here affectionately, we have the fiver. So, you know, like when you watch the Champions League games, like it's the, it's a handshake, not like a direct hands out handshake, but it's like more of like a thumbs up towards you and to like yeah. clasp of the hand yeah. basically. That's how we greet and say goodbye to each other every single day in our team. Mm-hmm. So before training, after training, uh, you come to the office, uh, we see you on campus, everybody on the team, whether it's coaches to players or players to players or coaches to coaches, that's how we greet each other every single day. And that's part of our, that's part of who we are is the, the fiver. So that's, I think that's, that personal touch is actually pretty, pretty important. Um, intentional team silliness, you know, I, I obviously I followed the U S national team and their success. Uh, although they're amazingly talented players and so professional, Watching them, it seems like they are silly a heck of a, a lot of the time, uh, and they're vulnerable, right? They're allowed to to be silly and be laughed at, and we're big on that too. We're big on that intentional team, vulnerable bonding. So stupid team building games that are silly that make you laugh at one another um, are really really important to us. I think their favorite one is the animal sounds game, and that might be if you go on an Instagram page. I think it happened in September. Uh, that is the the biggest hit in our team is the Animal Sounds game, and you're just being you're being vulnerable, you're being silly, and you're laughing at yourself, you're laughing at each other, and that helps to create a, a really positive team bond. Yeah, and, and if you haven't done it already, I would tell you to look at the work of Dr. Pippa Grange with the English national teams. What's uh, his name? She Pippa Grange. Pippa. Yep. Uh, and she and you can there and actually the the cover photo of one of these articles in the Guardian is of um, the English national team in a pool riding inflatable um, unicorns. Oh, that sounds amazing. And, and the point that she made, and she is now in charge of all the FA, is okay. is really hitting this vulnerability. Yeah. And yeah. and then I would say you could go to different studies like with astronauts, right? And, and, and the, the debate here is, does trust come before vulnerability or does vulnerability come before trust? Right. And, and I believe it's vulnerability first. I so agree. So putting... I agree players and people in an environment where they're almost forced to be vulnerable or to become comfortable with vulnerability that breeds trust 
Yeah. So yeah. again, I'm, I'm hitting on what you're doing and saying this is genius because even by being silly, silly embarrassment is vulnerability. You know, to, that's right. To, you don't look silly in front of people you don't trust. Yeah. And so it almost reinforces this community of like we can be silly in front of each other. That is vulnerability and trust. And uh, again, Pippa, Dr. Pippa Grange really encouraged the players to be honest in the media. Sure. You know, how are you feeling? Sure. I had a really bad training session. Yeah. And in, in exercising this vulnerability brought the whole team closer. Right, in, right. In the last World Cup, you saw what England did. So there's certainly something in, in the change there. It's it's so important. My wife has a background in human, uh, human sciences. Vulnerability is something that she talks about a lot. Um, and like you said, it, it comes before that, that trust factor. Without being vulnerable first, you can't trust one another. So we try we try and break that on the very first day of preseason, that, that, that fear of being vulnerable. We say, listen, just be yourself, be authentic. You're going to be silly. We're going to laugh at you. You're going to laugh at me. So let's, let's get to it right away, basically. And right back to basic needs model, right? You're, you're yeah. giving them the psychological uh, support and, and comfort to do what they need to do. Uh, okay, so the six to nine jump, is yes. that different from where you are about to enter your ninth season or is it the same uh in what aspect do you mean so is that team so the butterfly culture yeah are we yeah. out of that now in something else I, or are we still i think i think we're out of that okay, now. I think so, we're... so let's go to just about to start last year you had what 15 wins 14 14 wins? 14, 14 wins, wins yeah yeah uh tell me about the team today Okay, so big changes coming, some big changes because we lose a group of really talented, but more importantly, really good people in our senior class. Um, we lose we lose our class clown, if I can put it mm -hmm. in those terms. Uh, we have a replacement, luckily, from the same high school who's going to be our class clown for sure. But some big changes, some big, some big shoes to fill in terms of those seniors did a great job of keeping our team fun. Every single day. Yeah, great players, no question. Really, really talented soccer players. But they were so much fun to be around. And they were the most authentic group that we've had in, in my time here. Like They all had really distinct personalities and they all embraced them. So we've got to really help everyone in the team right now, including the incomers, to, to embrace their own personalities and to let them be who they are. And like I say, be authentic. So um, big challenge again with making sure that our group of 10 incoming players this year, they can be vulnerable from day one and then feel like they can trust each other and and feel comfortable from the very first day. Do you think vulnerability and authenticity are linked or two separate entities? Uh, it's a deep question. It's a deep question. Uh, I think they go hand in hand because I struggle to think of somebody who's authentic and isn't like sometimes lame or you know silly or tired or whatever it may be and if you're always trying to not be not show you're vulnerable you're not showing that you're authentic right so i think they do go hand in hand um so another let's go down another rabbit hole here which is sure. vulnerability is treated much different in the the female paradigm and the male paradigm sure how are you modeling or are you modeling vulnerability uh I don't model it on one distinct team or person or, or program. Um, I try and take ideas from every single avenue I can, whether it's men's or women's or basketball or or synchronized swimming, whatever it might be. I'm trying to make our, our Potsdam Bears 
vulnerability model, basically. So I steal ideas from, from other college teams, uh, from professional coaches, um, from CEO, you know, Fortune 500 leaders, stuff that they do that creates vulnerability. So we don't have a direct model. It's, it's very much our own. But you yourself don't have a problem being vulnerable? Oh, no, not, not whatsoever. I think, uh, maybe to a fault, maybe to a fault. Oh, I'm no pretty, I'm, <laughs> no, no, no problem. I'm not afraid to, to get involved in the, in the lip sync battle or, or dance if we win or, you know, what is really, really helped is, so when I talk loud, I, my voice cracks, mm-hmm. my voice cracks. And it's like, I'm trying to say, okay, Hey Lexi, when you're on the left and you're cutting aside and my voice will crack when I'm speaking loudly. Yeah. And the team laughs, right? And they they laugh their their butts off. And I think like if I had been like yo yo like yo I'm 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 brave here I'm cool don't right. laugh at me right, 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 right. it would have made them feel kind of embarrassed or like right. who's this guy why is he so cool or thinks he's cool, um, but I, I embrace that voice crack I, I embrace it and they don't do it on purpose obviously, but like I say I'm not afraid of being of being uh, the the, the butt of I a guess joke. the the butt of the joke that's the yeah. that's the term yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, I'll make the obvious connection as we go through your book. You know, these last two chapters, it's about authenticity. Do yeah. You feel like you're coming into your own authentic understanding of yourself. Yeah, de- definitely. I've I've tried to always be uh, authentic, but I've as I get older, I've come to realize that mistakes are okay and to own them. So again, a, a really important book I read that has helped me in building my chapters is. Um, how to Win Friends and Influence People, Timeless, Timeless book, um, Dale Carnegie. Uh, one of the major chapters in that book is if you make a mistake, just own it, admit to it, mm-hmm. right? Don't don't be the person that is like, it wasn't my fault, it was somebody else's fault, or it wasn't me, right? So somebody spilled milk, uh, it was my sister, it was my brother. Or if you were speeding, like, no, I wasn't speeding, your, your radar is broken. Own the mistakes. I think when you own your mistake and say like, listen, I, I really messed up, I'm sorry, I'll work through it and not let it happen again. That's so disarming, right? So you can't be mad at the person that right. is is so apologetic. So um, yeah, I think part of being authentic is owning your owning your mistakes and acknowledging the fact that you're you're not perfect. So that's that's an important thing as well. Great. All right. So this team, well, yeah, it's just about to start. Sure. If it was a symbol, what would it be? Bears, Potsdam Bears. No, I, I mean that yeah. truthfully. I mean we are ready to to take what's what's ours. Uh, we're brave. We're we're big. Um, we're not afraid to face things that might be daunting. So we are we are the Bears. What's the story the team tells itself about itself? Um, the story we tell about ourselves. Believe in the process and you will, you will find your way. This team has believed in each other, in the, the path that I've set out for them. If you just go step by step and believe in the, the process, you, you'll get to where you want to be. And what are the, you, you mentioned this in the butterfly stage. I wonder if it's different, sure. but what are the rituals and routines that reinforce that story now? Uh, the same pretty much. Mm-hmm. I think, I think since that butterfly stage, our team, what we do in terms of trying to establish team culture, we found that it works. So, right. so why change what works, right? What is control and how is it exercised? Uh, in a circle, in a circle, everyone has, uh, uh, an important role to play in that. I wish I could change our team room into a circle. 
Yeah, me too. I think. I think have you seen uh, the Man City? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 How it's circular to create, yeah. you know, cohesiveness. Um, I wish I had that because everyone is everyone's important. Every single person, whether you're part of the coaching staff, uh, you know, a, a freshman doesn't play very much to a senior captain who's uh, an all-region player. Everyone has an important role to play. And I'm again, I'm making an assumption, but like most conventional locker rooms, you might have lockers. And yeah. they just divide the room. So you have, you know, various sectors of the team are just divided and isolated from others. Because We have players. an L, basically, okay. an L shape. Yeah. So we have like a, you know, a square with yeah. a portion that's set off. And those players, they're kind of discluded. Luckily, we've created a, a little sitting area where those players can sit. But it's it's not ideal for them, obviously. But I'd love to, you know, fundraise for a, a circle. Uh, do you have captains? We do. How many? Two. And how are they chosen? Uh, I picked them. I picked them. So it's different. Year to year is different. So um, thinking back two years ago, we had three captains. The team voted. Uh, last year, we had seven, seven four-year seniors. Um, we had no captains, and that was my decision. And this year, we have two players who uh, I think have always really valued the, the program and, and seen how important it is to everyone at the school. Um, they are our our best leaders, so they're they're going to be our captains. But again, it's it's not like I have a, a rubric and I say you know tick tick tick, mm-hmm. or I don't have a, a document saying that we must have this many captains and they must be this age or must have this hair color. Every year is is different. Is there any internal uh, internal accountability mechanism? Are players rating each other, or is it more? Organic? They are, they are, they are. So what we do basically at the end of the spring season is we bring players in and we say, okay, let's have a conversation not so much about where can you improve i mean i I really found that the spring pre-summer conversation of like you know where can what can you work on well i can be more fit where can you improve well i can be more technical blah 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 and then three three months of summer go by it's like well if you don't do it none none of what you said matters anyway so we took the route this year of having players come in individually and we said okay all i want you to do today is rate your top two teammates and rate your two basically worst teammates who can improve in my areas and tell me why. And I, I learned so much from that. And one of the biggest things I learned was that they had so many positive things to say about each other. So many positive things. Like, you know, Susie is so open. When I'm having a, a really crappy day, I go to Susie because she's always willing to help. Or when I talk to Kim, uh, Kim cracks a joke and I feel better right away. Uh, I know that Kim can make me feel better just by talking to her. And we were like, that's great to say it to me, but do you tell your teammates that? Have you told Kim how much you value her and how much she means to you? Have you told Susie how much she means to you? And they're like, no, I, I don't. You know, I might text it to them or I might emoji them, but I don't actually pull them aside and tell them. And that was a big thing for me. It was like, well, do that. Do Next time you, Susie helps you through a really tough day, Tell her you appreciate her and tell you that you value her. And um, so that was a, a control mechanism for me, I guess. It was like, hey, you, you do this stuff behind the scenes and to me, make it happen in reality. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, what is power and how is it exercised? Uh, again, in the, the circular fashion, everyone everyone's important. Everyone has a role to play. Um it's not top down. It's not horizontal. It's it's circular in nature. So what it's what is it the um, meet the Fockers? Yeah. So if you're in the circle, yeah. yeah. Everyone's Trust in the circle, yeah. and it's a, it's a big circle where it's tough to get out of it. We want you to stay in it. We're not trying to force you out. 
We want you to stay in the circle as long as you can. Is there anybody in the middle or is everyone on the outside? Everyone's on the outside. Everyone's on the outside, including me, including me. There's a, there's a reason why I make them call me Mishak or Mish and not coach. I know I'm the coach. Uh, I would never call you like, hey, center back or hey, left winger. That's that's your role on the team. That's not who you are. Interesting. Right? So, um, What is next? What do you think is the next evolution of your team culture? Um. The next evolution of our team culture. I, I'm glad. I'm glad to say the word evolution, not revolution. Um, you know what is? I'm trying to impart a little bit is the Texas Tech phone thing. Have you read about that? No. Texas Tech men's basketball went to, to the championship game. Obviously, um, they had like a little bit of a, a dry spell in the season this year, and one of their captains was like, "All right, you know, no more phones. Day before game, get off your phones and let's." Let's hang out in the lobby. Let's hang out in our rooms together. Um, and they went 14-1 and one since that happened and obviously had a successful run in the tournament. Um, that's the next step, maybe. We do have a no-phone policy when we're at team team meals because I want them to actually connect and laugh at each other. Like, you got spaghetti with meatballs? You're right. such a five-year-old, you know, whatever it may be. But um, that's the next step is trying to disconnect because we're so connected that we're not connected. Wow. Right? Yeah. So um, that's the next step. It might take some time. I'm not sure it's going to happen this year, but that's the gradual evolution of our making sure that we are face-to-face with each other as much as possible. Mark, we're getting towards the end, and I'm going to give you a bunch of quick hit questions. Sure. What are you curious about? Everything. Everything. Um, Primarily, uh, what makes teams tick? Mm. Yeah, yeah, get in line. But everything though, I'm a, I'm curious, George. I asked too many questions. What's something you failed at? Um, lots of stuff. Um, something I failed at. Uh, I probably fail with something every day. I mean, I, I could I could always do more. I could always I could always uh, make more calls or or know more about someone's personality. Um, I do have to work on knowing more about all of my players and their their backgrounds. I know about them, mm-hmm. but I need to know more about their families and where they came from and how many siblings and and stuff like that. And that's something I should focus more on. And I've made a point of that to try and learn. That's that's the next step is more about who they are that's fantastic what do you wish all coaches knew about culture that it's everything that without without culture watch the twitter uh mashup with those coaches that got hired and the first word was always culture 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 it's like 40 seconds of coaches saying culture that w- without culture again to use the dabaske quote a happy team is with a thousand training sessions what do you wish all players knew about culture that it is intentional, that it takes work, doesn't just happen. You can't just have a positive culture. Oh, yeah, we have a great culture. Well, what does that actually mean? What do you do to make it happen? That it, 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 does, it does take attention. Like just like training a, a, a flat back four or working on playing out of the back, you have to work on creating a culture. Fill in the blanks. The first step in creating an intentional culture is? Deciding what you want it to be. The culture we are trying to create at Potsdam is ultra positive. We will know that we have created this culture when 
we know right now because nobody leaves our program ever. No one ever leaves. So we know. Last question. Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? I don't think so. I don't think so. You're asking a lot of good questions. Maybe about Lewandowski might have meant a segue to Piontek for Milan. No. If he's the next big thing. No. He could no. be. He could be. He could be. <laughs> um, too much too soon? No, no. Yeah. Too soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark, thanks so much. I appreciate is, it. Thank you so much. This has been exceptional. And, uh, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the depth that you go in thinking about and working with your players to create a really intentional, positive culture. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Performance Rising Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can find all the information about the podcast at performancerising.org. And be sure to check out the Instagram page at performance underscore rising.